So uh, it's been a while, and if you're new <clears throat> or just started coming, you would not have noticed, but we um, were going through the story of God told by a tax collector for several months now. Um, in other words, we were going through the Gospel of Matthew. And back in February, we, we kind of left off at chapter 12 and uh, where we were talking about the parable of the weeds. We had talked about how um, there's this need that when things come up in your life, we, we need to pull them. Just like in a garden, you would need to pull your weeds early and not too late. And so we went to this series about the detox, right? We wanted to have a soul detox. We allow things to enter into our bodies that cause damage and over time. And so then we went through this process of spiritual detoxification. And then we took a deeper look at some of the blind spots that we have in our lives that we all have. And we spent a good portion of time on a particular one, and that's the relationship between women in the church, women in culture, women in God. And whether or not you agreed with what I said, that's okay. It's called a blind spot for a reason. So, yeah. Um, but so now we're going to go into, back into Matthew's gospel and his retelling of God's story specifically the life of Jesus. And I want to look at something that Jesus went through that relates to all of us in our story, whether we're a professed believer or a follower of Christ or not. And then I will look further back into his story and another part where it kind of connects all of us that do claim to be a follower of Jesus. And so let's, let's go back to where we left, left off. So if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is traveling through the area. He's preaching, teaching, talking about the kingdom of God. Um, he's done some healing, and, and then he ends, uh, ends up in his hometown. So chapter 13 of Matthew, it'll also be on the screen behind me. I'm going to be reading from the, the message version. It says this, When Jesus finished telling these stories, he left there, returned to his hometown, and gave a lecture in the meeting house. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea that he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise, get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. We've known him since he was a kid. He's the carpenter's son. We know his mother, Mary. We know his brothers, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas. All his sisters live here. Who does he think he is? They got their noses all out of joint. But Jesus said, a prophet is taken for granted in his hometown and in his family. He didn't do many miracles there because of their hostile indifference. So questions for you to think about. Where, where are you from? What's, what, what's your hometown? What did you do there? What, what is your family known for there? Do you have sisters, brothers? Uh, who was your mom and dad? Where did you get your name from? Uh, were you named after someone? Uh, what does your name mean? I think we would all agree that names are very important. I have a couple girls on my travel softball team, Rhea and Ronnie, and I have trouble spelling their names. It's not the normal spelling of a name. And last year I had a girl named Rhea on my team. And so I call Rhea, Rhea, and then her dad corrects me all the time, but it's, it's a mess. And then, then on top of that, I have two girls of my own, Rio and Roby. They're my three-year-old and six-year-old. And I call Roby Rio so many times that Rio calls Roby Rio. Does that make sense? You get that, you know? So, uh, and, and, and names are important. I told you the story of how Rio got her name, that she was named after a song from my brother's favorite band, and it was in honor of him. And then Roby was named after, her, uh, after my grandfather. And then Cannon, uh, his middle name is Blue, and he's named after the winningest college football program of all time. Um, and then Maisie, she got her name from the movie Uncle Buck. So um, it's kind of a, a spread out there. Um, if you remember the movie, Miles and Maisie were the two kids. 
but where did you, where did you get your name from? Like, like, what is it, what does it mean? My mom always told me it was, Jeff meant God's peace. And so she would always say, calm down, Jeff, God's peace, right? But I, I researched this and, and, and um, some of you, you know, this is a, a source that you use sometimes, but Urban Dictionary, I, I Googled or, uh, what Jeff means. And I'm going to read it for you. I'm not making any of this up. This is truth. It says, Jeff, a fabulous name. Anyone who has it should be proud. Jeff is someone who will, you will fall deeply in love with. Mostly a great guy with an awesome personality and who only cares about you. Jeff is sweet, smart, funny, and very handsome. Just never let go of a Jeff once you have one because it will be the worst mistake in your life. A Jeff is somebody who has got what you need. A Jeff is somebody who knows what it's about. A Jeff is a really cool kid who everyone loves. Someone with a fantastic everything. Everyone's best friend. A Jeff will most likely often be cheerful and can always put their friends in the best of moods. Jeff has awesome dance skills and great hair. That's true, I'm telling you. Although, although Jeffs are magically perfect, they will make you feel super about yourself. Now, Urban Dictionary isn't always a reliable source for information, but they nailed this one, right? I'm telling you, Jeff, you agree? I'm telling you, man, that's right on. So, so real quick. What does your name mean? Where where did it come from? Were you named after someone? I want you to introduce yourself to someone around you. I want you to tell them your name if they don't know it, uh, where you are from, uh, unless you're in the witness protection and we don't want that again, right? Um, But take a couple minutes and tell someone uh, what your name means and maybe who you were named after, where you're from, what your hometown is kind of a thing. Take a minute and do that and we'll come back together. Baptism is a naming. That's ultimately baptism is naming someone a child of God. And um, it's... a child of God. Well, I think we're all children of God. And I think baptism acknowledges that. that, And you don't become a child of God when you cross off a list of things to do. Or even when you are baptized. Being baptized is simply a naming, an acknowledgement of someone's existing belovedness. I mean, when Jesus was baptized, he didn't only begin to be beloved by God when he was baptized. Um, it, it was an acknowledgement of his eternal belovedness. Well, he was God, but not everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, but I think it's true for everyone else. Not everybody's <laughs> creating God's image. <laughs> I like that you're playing That's devil's true. advocate here. Um, <laughs> but, well, really, I think baptism is, is an acknowledgement of uh, people's belovedness. And when we treat it as that, it's, it's in the Orthodox tradition, it's part of the baptismal service is a renunciation of Satan and his demons and of evil. And the way I kind of look at that and apply that is in bapt- baptism is a renunciation of all those competing voices that try and tell you who you are. Uh, the world says gives you names like screw up, faker, fat, slut, addict. In baptism, you're named beloved. Uh, And then the world, like demons, beckon with rich, powerful, pretty, right. But in baptism, you're told you're beloved and that's enough. Uh, I think everyone wants to be told sort of who they are. And in baptism, we're told You are a beloved child of God, and we're told to renounce anything that says otherwise. 
And it's a really, it's, it's a defiant thing to do. I, I look at baptism as defiance because the world will always try to name us. And in baptism, we say, no, my name is beloved. <laughs> uh, so whether that happens when you were an infant and you are remembering your baptism as God naming you beloved, or whether it happens as an adult, uh, I think when we look at our baptisms and we think about the significant of our, significance of our baptisms, it's that we are named by God and that that's enough. Good news. It is good news. <laughs>
The most powerful name is given to us. That God names us sons and daughters. But for some reason, we let that become like this white noise in the back of our minds, right? And we way too often listen to the other competing voices. But here's one of the images I want you to walk away with today. If you've ever been on a boat, if you want to keep the boat from getting lost at sea or crashing into other things, what do you do? You drop an anchor, right? You, you tie the, the boat down. And that boat may still drift a little bit, right, from side to side as the wind and the waves kind of change. And if there's a storm, that boat might still get wet. It might get damaged. But it's tied down, right? It's not going anywhere. Well, for baptism, that, that's like an anchor for, for you, for your soul, and when all the world wants to try to, to name you, and it brings you back then to the name that is the most important, when the one named Jesus named you the beloved, we may drift a bit, we may get knocked around by storms and waves, and at the end of the day, we're still the beloved, and nothing can change that. So the question is, is then how do you and I enter into this naming of God? Well, let's go back even further in Matthew's story. We're going to go back to chapter 3. It's a familiar story if you've been a part of this journey through Matthew's gospel. But this is Jesus' public, uh, begins his public ministry, right? And he gets baptized at the Jordan River. Uh, but if, you just, if we just read Matthew chapter 3 and the story of Jesus' baptism, and we pass, it, it, our response might be, okay, well, Jesus got baptized. Maybe I should do it too. It seems like the, maybe the Christian thing to do, right? But if that's the only reason, if that's the only thing we get out of it, we're, we're missing something. And so I want us to look at the story, read it again, and see what else we can find. So Matthew 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. While Jesus was living in the Galilean hills, John, called the baptizer, was preaching in the desert country of Judea. His message was simple, like the desert surroundings. It says, change your life. God's kingdom is here. John and his message were authorized by Isaiah's prophecy. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival, make the road smooth and straight. Okay, so John the Baptist was this Old Testament prophet, right? And those guys were crazy people, if you, if you read anything about them. They did and said things that like, freaked people out. And so there were like two proper responses to, to these Old Testament prophets. The first was like, what? Like old man McGucket is going crazy again. He's selling out, saying, saying all these things. And that was one response. And then the other response was, Oh, crap. Did you hear what that guy just said? Like, we're dead. Like, God is going to smite us. If we don't change our ways, we'll be smitten. You know, and, and, and in either case, no one wanted to be around these people. But surprising, in verse 7, or verse 4, it says, John dressed in camel hair, habit tied at the waist by a leather strap. He lived on a diet of locusts and wild field honey. But people poured out of Jerusalem, Judea, and Jordanian countryside to hear and see him in action. There at the Jordan River, those who came to confess their sins were baptized into a changed life. So these people that normally didn't want to be around, people flocked to them. Why? Well, Jesus, uh, well, John the Baptist here is offering uh, an Old Testament practice of baptism, right? Where he's calling people to repent. Uh, and people were being baptized into repentance. It was the symbolism of going into the water dirty and then coming out clean. And, and John is having this old-fashioned tent revival, right? Down at the river, he's like... Uh, you know, Jesus is coming. He's coming back. So we need to repent. And then the strangest thing happens here uh, in the next passage where uh, Jesus shows up to be baptized, right? And John does what many pastors and evangelicals might do if Jesus actually showed up at their churches. He freaks out. He says, 
what are you doing here? Like, you're not supposed to be here, right? We're just here to talk about you. And tragically, if Jesus actually showed up in some of our churches, I'm not sure he would be welcomed, right? Not dressed like that, not with that haircut, not with the friends he hung out with. But then let's look at verse 13. Jesus appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. He wanted John to baptize him. John objected. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus insisted. He said, do it. God's work, putting things right all the centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. Verse 16. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him. And along with the spirit, a voice said, this is my son, chosen and marked by love, by my love, delight of my life. Now, this is a big moment. Whenever you see the father, the son, the Holy Spirit in the same place, something big is about to happen. They were together in the beginning when they started creating things. And now they're here together again in this new creation. Heaven is torn open and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And the voice of the father says, this is my son whom I love With him I am well pleased. The son is named by the father. He says, this is the one. This is the one that I love. This is my beloved son marked by my love. In him I delight. Well, for me in in my church history, in my growing up as a teen in church, this is where something got kind of twisted. This idea of God being pleased with me. Like this, this never clicked for me. I didn't believe that. There was no way that God would ever be pleased with who I was. I would never be good enough. I could never do enough good. I could never obey the rules enough. But that's not what God is saying here. This is not a good versus bad thing. God is, says he's taking delight in you. You see, Jesus hadn't done anything yet, right? No miracles, no healings, no preaching. Jesus was just being the father's son here. And what God is saying is that I'm happy just to be your dad. I delight in that. My two oldest play sports, and I have the privilege of coaching them, and I enjoy coaching them, whether it's t-ball or softball, basketball. I even suffer through soccer. But more than coaching, I just love to watch them play. Like I, and I tell them this all the time. And it's not about wins or losses. It's not about made shots or missed shots or strikeouts or dropped balls. It's not about seeing you hit a home run or score a goal or hit a three-pointer or, or pin someone. Uh, those are all great things. But the reason I go to your wrestling matches, the reason I go to your basketball games is because I just love to watch you play. I take pleasure in you being my son. I delight in the fact that you're my daughter. I embrace that you belong to me, and I affirm that you are my beloved. And that's what Matthew wants us to see here in this moment. That hope has come. That this is the one, and you and I are chosen by him. And God identifies with our humanity through the embodiment of his son, Jesus, who goes into our deepest need through the water and then takes our place on the cross. And what kept Jesus going all that time? What kept Jesus on course? Why did he endure the cross? Because it was the anchor. He knew who he was, whom he belonged to. He had experienced the life of the beloved. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to the waters of baptism. You and I, we come to the waters. We come to Jesus different ways and at different stages of life. Matthew 16 Jesus is with Peter, and he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And then he asks Peter, you know, he always says, Peter, who do they say I am? And, and Peter goes on, and then Jesus says, well, no, who do, you, who do you say that I am? 
And we know that the other disciples, they came to faith on their own time. For some, it wasn't until after the resurrection where they really truly believed in Jesus. And so we all come different times, different places in life. And so maybe when you were a kid or maybe when you were a teenager or just five years ago or maybe last year. Maybe today is the day you finally believe Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe today is the day you confess that you need him to forgive you, to free you, to name you the beloved, that you need that God in your life. And as much as the baptism story points to God and his greatness, it also brings us into relationship with the Father. In Matthew 28, it says, All authority has been given to me. Now you go and baptize in my name. You and I get on, we get get in on what's happening in Matthew chapter 3 now. John's gospel says that the Father has loved me, so do I love you. In Galatians 3, it says, by faith, we are in relationship with the Father. And at our baptism, we are brought into relationship with God. And so the reason we go once a year down to Deep Creek and we celebrate, the reason it is so important for all of us to go and celebrate with those that are getting baptized is because it's a naming ceremony. Where men and women, teens, youth go into the waters of baptism and come out named by God, sons and daughters. That this is the anchor of our faith in Christ. When we receive his baptism by participating in their own. I'm going to invite the band to join me on stage. So what does this ultimately have to do with today's passage? Well, often we let what others think about us and our, and our hometown reputation speak louder than the voice of God who has named you the beloved. The people in Jesus' hometown, they named him. He was named by his family, his father's job, his, his sisters, his hometown reputation. So what, again, names you? Where do you go for affirmation? Where do you go for, for your, uh, to find your identity? Where do you embrace your security? Baptism is the moment that all of us and all of this comes together. The gospel tells us that this is the naming and it has the power over all the other naming in your life. So what would stop you from receiving that name? Beloved son, beloved daughter of God. That we need to live and stand in that name. And I get it. I get it for many of us being loved like that is a scary thing. And so we run to all other things to earn that love. For some reason, we just can't accept this unconditional love from God. And so in our religion, we create hoops and hurdles to jump through. Laws, lists that will spend the rest of our lives living and falling short. But God says, stop. He says, you are my beloved. And I delight in the fact that you are already my son and already my daughter. And I just love to watch you play. Just for a moment, can we stop? Can we let that sink in that you are loved? It is the uncomfortable reality of the gospel. So we need to let it be uncomfortable. Let it become a place for freedom for you. Because this is about being, not doing. The point of the prodigal story that most of us are familiar with that story where the son takes his inheritance and he leaves home. He wastes his money, becomes poor and homeless and hungry, and he longs to be back home. And so he begins his journey and his father sees him off in the distance and he runs down the driveway and he wraps his arms around his son and he throws him a killer welcome home party. 
And the point of that story isn't that the lost son becomes good and he starts to behave and then he becomes the father's son again. It was that the lost son was home and is no longer lost. That he became aware that he was always the father's son. That he was with the father who loved him the entire time. You and I are invited into that relationship. And the only thing that matters to God is, are you home or or are you out there lost? Are you living a life with me or are you out there chasing death? Are you letting other things name you? The gospel message comes together and it's packed in symbols like bread and wine and then in our water baptism. And so in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that naming ceremony where friends and family, they publicly declare that they've been named by God embraced by God and affirmed by God. So we come to the water to declare that I am God's daughter, that I am God's son. We are his beloved. God is well pleased, delighted in us. And that anchors our faith through our baptism. So I'm asking you to don't go any longer without it. Get in on this. Jesus has given us this. So I'm inviting you, if you haven't been baptized, to sign up, to not put it off any longer. Why, why not, right? So as the band plays, I'm going to invite you to stand. I want you to search your soul. This morning, go ahead and stand with me. If you have not been baptized, I want you to sign up. I want you to take that step and come to the water. If you've been baptized before, I want you to stand in that water. I want you to use it as an anchor that holds you in place. So when storms, when life wants to name you, when you struggle finding your place or your identity your baptism reminds you of who you are and whose you are and in both our baptism and our remembering we're called back to the water worship with me